open your Bibles with me to Psalms, and let's go to Psalm 23. I began preaching last week a series called Summer Psalms, and I'm just taking the summer and going through certain psalms. And I really wanted to deal with um, a lot of uh, certain of the most famous psalms and just look at them afresh. And so last week we started out with Psalm 1, and wasn't that amazing? I mean, we had amazing services, and then I took that thing to Georgia this week and did a morning session for pastors and leaders and preached on it and preached on how to be happy. And we just had a great time, great time at the uh, Georgia conference. So, Okay, you there? Say amen. amen. How many of you are carrying a Bible, an iPhone, or something where you can read the Scripture on? Okay, just checking. <laughs> just curious. Psalm, Psalm 23, you can read it with me if you like. I'm reading it out of the New King James. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I want to talk about the goodness of God out of Psalm 23. So we're looking at arguably the most famous psalm of all, Psalm 23. It's one of the most recognized passages of Scripture in the entire Bible. It's arguably the most quoted, most memorized, most recited passage of Scripture in the Bible. St. Augustine in the 4th century called it the martyr's hymn because so many Christian martyrs would recite it or pray it while they were being killed. Also, Abraham Lincoln referred to it numerous times during the heart of the Civil War. Even George W. Bush quoted it to the nation morning after 9-11 and the attacks. But Psalm 23 is often read at funerals or at gravesites. But it's not a psalm about death. I think because of that one phrase, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, because of that we quote it at funerals and gravesites. But it's not, a, it's not necessarily a psalm about death. It's a psalm about life. It deals with two of the Two of the most basic questions that all mankind ask, one is, how am I going to get food and drink? And the second is, will I be protected from my enemies? And this psalm answers both of those questions. It's, it's there, I think, to evoke trust in us. And it's like we're coming up on a grassy knoll and we reach the top, and we look out and see a bright sunrise, and we catch a new vista of God's goodness. So Psalms often include four different pieces and, and parts. Okay, One is a uh, lament, where the psalmist is complaining, he's griping about something. He's making his 
issue known. And then there's often a petition where he prays, he asks the Lord for something. And then there's often a declaration of faith or of confidence. I know the Lord is going to do this, or I know he is able. And then there's often a praise. God, I thank you that you're going to do this or you have done this. But this psalm really doesn't contain those moving pieces. I think all of it is a declaration. I think all of it is a statement of his confidence in God. And we've learned, you know, through Hebrew scholarship that a lot of these psalms were royal psalms, especially David's psalms, that their place setting is really in the tabernacle or in the temple courts, that the king would read the psalm to the people gathered to worship. And then it had this royal setting. So think about that as we walk through this piece by piece. The king could be reciting this in this setting to the congregants or worshipers who had come to the temple or tabernacle. And then there's something super cool that I'd never noticed about this. That it really presents three different scenes or three vignettes. One is the metaphor of a shepherd. And the psalmist is saying, the Lord is my shepherd, which implies I'm one of his sheep. But then the metaphor shifts, the scene shifts, and it really shifts to a table setting, a cup, and his head being anointed with oil, which isn't speaking of sheep. It's really speaking of a weary traveler who's found refuge in the tent of a sheikh. And then the final scene is reality. And that is we're in the temple courts. And now we're talking about being in the temple courts and his goodness and mercy following us all the days of our lives. So it's good to be a sheep in God's sheepfold. But it's really good to be a guest in his tent where he feeds you from his table and protects your life. But it's the best to be in his temple courts, worshiping him and seeing his glory. Oh, hallelujah. Can somebody shout amen? Amen. Say, being a sheep's okay. Being a guest is better, but being a worshiper is best. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Lord, I thank you for your presence right now. Lord, I thank you for your presence. So I'm going to take my time and walk through this. We don't have another service following this, and, and City Grill will still be open. I'm going to give you three things, three aspects of God's goodness. First of all, God provides for us. God provides for us. The Lord is my shepherd, and I'm always in want. No, say it with me. The Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want. I have no lack. He can, the psalmist can boldly say that as a declaration. 
The Lord is my shepherd, and I have no lack in my life. I have no lack. You think about the, the life of a shepherd, and we think of David, maybe, or maybe you think of David sitting up on a hill, playing the harp, taking a lot of naps, hanging out with the sheep. But think about how David described the life of a shepherd when he went to Saul. Remember the first time he shows up on the battlefield? And Goliath is taunting the, the, the armies of Israel and, and David bumbles down the way and he comes onto the battlefield and he's like, what's going on? And they're like, this guy is, no one can touch this guy. And he says, really? What's going to be given to the guy who actually beats him? And his brother said, you go to the house. You're just curious and you just want a soap opera. And David said, is there not a cause? Do you guys not have a vision here? Is there not, a, is there not something worth fighting for? So we asked someone else, hey, what will be given to the guy who beats this guy? He said, oh man, he's going to be tax free for the rest of his life and he gets the king's daughter. David's like, I'm in. Then he goes to Saul and he tells Saul. Saul's like, son, come on, you can't do this. This is ridiculous. He said, no, 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 no. you got to understand, I'm a shepherd. And when I was watching the sheep, a lion came. You know what I did? I grabbed that lion by the beard, and I killed him. That doesn't sound like a wimp to me. That sounds like Jackie Chan (laughs) bred with Arnold Schwarzenegger on steroids. It's like, So a shepherd isn't a wimp. Somebody who knew how to, how to take care of the sheep and knew how to provide for the sheep. So the shepherd's constantly watching for the welfare and provision of his flock. And some commentators believe that this really was referring to Israel. That here, this is a royal psalm talking about the history of Israel. Because you think God was Israel's shepherd and took care of them with extreme care. Deuteronomy chapter 2. For the Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hand, and He knows you're trudging through this great wilderness, and these 40 years the Lord has been with you, and you've lacked nothing. They lacked nothing. When they got to one place and were complaining that the water was bitter, God miraculously changed the water to sweet. When they got to one place and had no water, God gave them water. When they got to no place, got to one place and had no food, God gave them manna from heaven. When they got sick of the manna from heaven, God gave them quail. When they didn't have water at one point, God made a rock pour forth water for all of them. I mean, come on. Think about Nehemiah 9, 21 says, 40 years you sustained them in the wilderness and they lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out and their feet did not swell. How many of you ladies could walk through 40 years of desert without your feet swelling? I'm an equal opportunity offender. So how many of you men could walk through 40 years of desert without your feet swelling? They did. And guess what? Their clothes didn't wear out. They didn't have TJ Maxx along the way. Their clothes didn't wear out. Their feet didn't swell. And the Bible says there was no disease among them. 
That God had protected them in such an amazing way because His hand was on them. He was their shepherd and they had no lack. Oh, hallelujah. How can the psalmist say that? I have no lack. I have no lack. He says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. So the shepherd is constantly about leading his people to abundance. And the idea of grassy pastures is not an idea of ample supply. It has the concept of an abundant supply. Because it's not like, he found us a patch of grass over here. Or he found us a worn out clover field. No, since he found us these grassy pastures that we could just lay down in. There was such an abundance, we could just chill out and sleep in the food. He leads me beside still waters, or the idea here, you know, we've westernized this, that we think there's these flowing streams and there's these, you know, these waterfalls, and, but God doesn't do that. Well, there's, there's none of that in the Middle East, really. But he's talking about the concept of rest and peace, that he leads me beside the waters where I can rest And I can rejuvenate. He leads me beside still waters and he restores my soul, the nefesh. And really the Hebrew concept of nefesh isn't really spiritual yet like it is in Greek with pneuma. It's more of he renews my desires. He renews my vision. He gives me the the spunk to go on again. How many need some of that right now? Come on. And then he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And again, we've, we've, we've Christianized this and we think of righteousness as you know, right living. But here the concept is more of faithfulness. He, he is faithful to always lead me. He's faithful. He's faithful to always lead me for his name's sake. Exodus 15, again to the children of Israel. You in your mercy have led forth the people whom you have redeemed and you have guided them in your strength to your holy habitation. And then he says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So though I walk through treacherous canyons and sheep, can fall off stuff like that, these little mountain trails. But he's saying, but I don't fear. I can walk in treacherous places and I don't fear. Why? Because my shepherd's here. And he's making sure I don't fall off the mountain. He's making sure I'm not overtaken by robbers. He's making sure, and if you know what, if I mess up, if I get caught and my, 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 my leg goes over here, he's got a staff he can just yank me back up with. And if I'm moving too slow, he can take the other end of that staff. Now, I don't know if the shepherd's staff was like this in the Old Testament, but you know when, uh, when the Lord Jesus appeared to Paul on the road to Damascus, he asked him, this King James, he said, why are you kicking against the pricks? And or kick against the goad is another translation. It's a shepherd's goad, which had a pointy end. And what's that mean? <laughs> if you mess up and you get if you get in trouble, you get the the hook around the neck. 
And if you're not moving fast enough or going the wrong way, you get the prick in the rear end. I love this intellectual preaching I'm doing. Come on, somebody. How many knows God still does that? He still rescues us when we stumble, and he still moves us along the way when we're not going at his speed or in his direction. Oh, hallelujah. So then not only does God provide, but the metaphor shifts to his protection. Now it moves. And he says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemy. So I'm just going to play with this word picture. Let's look at this. That Let's say we're traveling and we're uh, wandering through the desert and there's uh, nothing to drink and we're famished and we're starved and there's enemies or marauders on our tail. And we're running, 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 running. And all of a sudden, we come upon this series of Bedouin tents with the sheikh who rules them all. And he welcomes us into his tent. And we go into his tent and oh man, here's the hummus. <laughs> I'm going to modernize. Here's the pita. Here's the grapes. Here's the olives. Here's the lamb. And then he says, sit down, son. And he pours us drink at his table. And we're like... And then not only that, he says, don't worry. I have swordsmen. I have camels. Nobody's going to touch you while you're in my tent. You're under my protection now. Somebody needs to hear this right now. Come on, you run into the arms of the Lord and run into his protection. You're now blessed in the presence of your enemies. Now you're anointed in the presence of your enemies. And now you're so abundantly filled that it's overflowing in the presence of your enemies. Come on, that's what God does. It's what He's like. It's who He is. Somebody just lift your hand and say, do it, Lord. (laughs) Do it, Lord. You provide and you protect. You provide. Come on, if it hadn't been for the Lord, where would we be right now? If it wouldn't been for his protecting hand, where would Hans Hess be right now? If it wasn't for his protecting hand, where would you be right now? Come on, if he wasn't with you when you were 16 and you were 17 and you were that stupid 14 and you were 21 and full of it. If it wouldn't have been for the hand of the Lord, you wouldn't be sitting here right now. Come on, somebody preach with me. But thank God for Jesus right now. Hallelujah. Thank God that I found him and he found me and he called me uh, out of the miry clay. Hallelujah. I feel the presence of the Lord right now. Come on. He took me up out of the miry clay, placed me on a rock and and bless me in the presence of my enemies. Somebody shout hallelujah. Come on, go ahead and give him thanks. Go ahead and give him praise. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on, say it with me. He provides and he protects 
And that's just an introduction to what I really want to preach. And that's the third aspect, and that is, okay, so, so, so the next verse is, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. Everybody say follow. follow. So the word follow in Hebrew can be translated as chases. So I'm going to use that lexical definition. The goodness of God is chasing me down. Okay, God provides and He protects, but He also chases us with goodness. Now the image is back to the temple. Now we're in worship. And now He's saying, and now surely goodness and mercy are following me or chasing me all the days of my life. It's good to be a sheep. It's better to be a guest with a shake. But my Lord, now I'm in His presence. And His goodness and His mercies on my back. And it's not letting me go. You know, last year, I took nine Sundays off from the church. And I spent some time in a charismatic monastery. I spent some time on the Appalachian Trail. I spent some time with friends. And when I got back, I was working a lot in the office. I just wasn't preaching. And I came to the staff one day and I said, I don't want to see a whiteboard. I don't want to have a planning meeting. We'll get to that. But right now, I can't deal with that. I just want his presence. Because what I longed for, Jimmy, was to get back with you guys and get into the anointing. Yeah, he's with me alone, absolutely. But there's a difference when we come together as a congregation and we're rubbing elbows and we're worshiping God together. And his presence comes. I said, That's, this is what I want and this is what we have to get back. Because without that, I don't want a plan. I don't want a program. Without his presence, I'm like Moses. Unless you go, Lord, I'm not going. Unless you move, I'm not moving. So now we're in his presence and now goodness and mercy are these power twins chasing us down. So let me break it down, and I pray this blesses you. First of all, goodness just comes from the Hebrew word tov. So if you go to Israel today, they'll greet you, you know, boker tov. It's good morning. So good, good, good. But good has a deeper sense of good and good things. So God comes with His goodness and His good things and all of his good stuff and he is chomping at the bit to give it and unload his good stuff on us and we can't receive it sometimes because of our jacked up past or our messed up religious brain that we've been taught God is just after us with a whip and He's just right here to beat us down and to judge us. And I'm not belittling. There is a place for righteousness. There is a place for judgment. But really, if you read over and over in the Scripture, He's really trying to chase you down to bless you. He has your good in mind and your good intentions. And He's really running you down trying to chase you. Paul said, the goodness of God leads men to repentance. So once you get a glimpse of how good He is, it absolutely blows away 
Everything else in life, all the other pursuits, all of the other desires, all of the other issues you've had going on that you thought were so important that you just couldn't let go of, once you get a glimpse of his glory, it's just like, He's chasing us down. He's so good. Listen how the word's used in Old Testament. Genesis chapter 50. Joseph's been betrayed by his brothers. He's been sold into slavery. He's out of slavery. He gets put in prison. Out of prison, he gets taken to the height of the kingdom. And in the kingdom, his brothers have to come and ask for food. He disguises himself, or he's so changed they didn't recognize him. Finally, he unveils himself among his brothers who had betrayed him and sold him into death and slavery. And when he comes out against them or uh, reveals himself rather to them, they're all like in shock. And they're fearing for their lives. And Joseph looks at them and says, you guys meant this for evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about so that this day many lives might be saved. So God is so good, he even takes the devil's junk and people's stuff and the issues that life throws at us, and if we'll allow him, he turns all of that and uses it to bless us. Oh, hallelujah. I can't help but believe even COVID last year, I believe it's of the enemy. I don't believe sickness comes from God. I just don't swallow that pill. I believe it came from the enemy, orchestrated of the enemy, to try to, to take us out. And then God is now turning it, and he's got some people who's been hearing the voice of the Spirit, and now we're reaching the globe, and it's been accelerated incredibly over the past year because God says, you do that? Yeah, I already knew it was coming. I already have it figured out, but look at what I have behind curtain number two. And he pulls it back, and he's got blessing, and he's got innovation, and he's got connections, and he's got anointing, and he has all of this stuff coming at us. Oh, hallelujah. Come on, somebody. I'm preaching to somebody right now. What the devil tried to take you out with, God's going to turn it around and use it in your life to minister to you and minister out of you. There's anointing coming. Through great suffering comes great anointing. That You've been suffering for a while, but you're going to be anointed after a while, and God's going to use you to minister to people. Come on, somebody. Give me a shout in here this morning. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. We did, God didn't waste that time. That wasn't wasted time you went through. It's all part of the purpose, and it's part of the thing God's using in you to bring about the truckload of his goodness into your life. Come on, somebody shout amen. Lamentations 3. Through the Lord's mercies, we're not consumed. Because his compassions fail not. They're new every morning. We wake up and it's, we're confronted with the goodness of God. Every morning. The Lord is good to those who wait for him. To the soul who seeks him. Psalm 31, the psalmist says, Oh, how great is your goodness! I could just shout it. How great is your goodness? Romans 8, 28. Y'all can quote it with me. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. Tov. Good things. Prosperity. 
welfare, benefits are chasing me down. Somebody needs to get it. Come on, just come on, just honestly, act of faith, prophetic act. Just reach up and pull that down. And then to put the icing on the cake, and mercy is chasing me down. And the term for mercy is a million dollar Hebrew heavyweight term called chesed. It's used all through the Old Testament. And it's often translated as loving kindness. It's like we couldn't figure it out with one word. So we had to do a a German word combo. I studied German and there were words like. So we did it. It's not God's just loving. And it's not that he's just kind. He's got loving kindness. And really, the, probably the closest we can get at it is mercy. But it has this sense of favor. That Okay, so he's given us the prosperity, the welfare, the benefits, the good things. And then he comes and puts the icing on the cake with his favor. And we know mercy is love to someone who doesn't deserve it. So he comes to those who don't deserve it. Come on, how many can lift your hand and say, I qualify? He comes to those who don't deserve it, and he backs up the dump truck. And he pulls down the gate and unloads that mercy and favor to us who don't deserve it. And we wake up one day and we said, God, how in the world did I end up this blessed? How did I end up with this much mercy? How did I end up with this much forgiveness? How did I end up with this much love, God? How did I get this in my life? Lord, I'm of all people most unworthy, but yet you came. Oh, hallelujah. As the song said, mercy came running to me when I didn't deserve it. I wasn't worthy of it. It came and ran me down and overtook me on the streets. Put your hands together. Give the Lord a praise. Exodus 34, and the Lord passed before Moses, and he said, The Lord, the Lord God is merciful and gracious, long-suffering, and abounding in goodness. Moses wanted to see him. That's what he saw. Mercy and goodness. All of the good, all of the attributes of God. Lamentations 3. Through the Lord's mercies, we're not consumed. Because his compassions fail not. Listen to this. Deuteronomy chapter 7. The Lord spoke to the nation of Israel. This is one of the most beautiful passages in all the scripture. And I want you to hear it because it's for us today. He says, for you are a holy people, Israel. You're a holy people for the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love on you, nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people. For you were the least of all peoples, but because the Lord loves you.
So if you think about the sovereignty of God and why in the world did he choose Israel and why was Abraham the servant of God, the friend of God and all that, we, we could check all the boxes, but really the only one that matters is God loved him. And God loved Israel. So we're not redeemed and sitting in here born again today because we were so smart. <laughs> Anyhow, I'm thinking stuff. We're not sitting here today redeemed because we're so wealthy. We're not sitting here redeemed because we have so much talent that God couldn't do without us. The number one reason you're sitting in here redeemed and hearing the Word and loving God and full of the Spirit is just because He loved you. Yeah, He loved you. He doesn't just call the qualified. He qualifies the call. He loved us. 1 John 4.19 We love Him because He first and let me lay one on you, and then we're going to pray. And this, oh man, I preached on the, in the, from the book of Job when I was gone, and just more and more starts coming out of that. And this is, this is, this is, this is it. Ephesians chapter 3, Paul's talking about the, the, you know, the excellency of Christ and how he's exalted above all other beings in the universe and in the spirit realm, and how God has exalted him far above all principalities, powers, dominion, and might. Then he comes to chapter 6, and he says, Now you are wrestling not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and power. And he names all these things. All these things we're wrestling against, Jesus has already conquered and been exalted over. But then Paul says this in chapter 3 of Ephesians. He says, And now the church is made up of Jew and Gentile, and he's addressing the Gentile, and God went and got the Gentiles and showed them the unsearchable riches of Christ. And he said this, and he made us all to see what is the fellowship of his mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden to the intent or for the purpose of, so that, now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in heavenly places. Amen. What are you saying, Hans? God, one of the purposes worked in all of this redemption stuff is so that God can unload his blessings on us, goodness and mercy. And so we become so blessed that He shows all of the spirit realm. Satan and his right hand and left hand and the kings and princes and all in His kingdom. He has blessed us, the church, to show all of them what it looks like. To be blessed. We'll be like H. Richard Hoff. Y'all don't shout, I'll shout all by myself. Come on. So God wants to show off Ike. And maybe it goes something like the book of Job. Have you considered my servant Ike? 
You see how much blessings I got on that man? He's my man. See that devil? You're a loser. It's, I think God just likes doing that. You see Gracie? See her over here? That's what it looks like to be blessed and favor, mercy. That's what it looks like. Take that devil. I think it's, that's the ultimate thing. I don't understand it. Don't understand all of God's sovereignty, why he did it. But it's what's happening in the book of Job. We can try to blame Job for this or blame Job for that. I studied it in depth, and this is all I see. For some reason, God and Satan came into agreement, and God said, Have you seen my man, Job? And Satan's minuscule, distorted, and warped understanding of mankind. He said, He only serves you for the stuff you give him. God said, You won't bet. Satan took everything he had. Ten kids, all the wealth, all, the, all he was left with was an encouraging wife. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> then he, and he still didn't bow. Satan came back and said, uh, He's only serving you because he still has his health. God said, You want to bet? No, no, no. He goes and for some weird reason, he's given the authority to touch his health but not kill him. And then what does he do? Job goes, it's like he's in the courtroom of heaven. You read Job 19. It's like he's in the courtroom of heaven. He says, God, why have you done this to me? Why am I like this? My servants don't want to come around me. I'm foul to my wife and my everyone around. I've lost all honor. You've done this, God. Hear me! And he goes on, and it's just this scathing plea he's making in the courtroom of heaven. But then he comes down to the end of that chapter, and he says, but I know one thing, that in the end my Redeemer lives, and I will see him again in this flesh. That there's a resurrection day coming, and devil, you can throw anything you want, but I'm still not bowing. I am God's masterpiece. I am his work of art. I am his blessed man. I am his man of favor, and I'm standing come hell or high water for the name of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Somebody shout it. Yay! Woo! You are God's work of art. You're his masterpiece. Then in the end, what happens? God says, Job, you made it, bro. Now I'm going to give you twice what you had before. Now I'm going to restore your honor, which he does, to the men in town. And now your idiot friends are such losers. I'm going to burn them up if you don't pray for them right now. And he gets to show all of his friends, I was right all along. Come on, God has blessed us to sh- well, for one, one of the reasons is to show all the demonic kingdom what it looks like to be a redeemed saint of God, blessed, highly favored, separated, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost, on fire, anointed, 
devil stomping, devil casting out blind man to healing, water walking, tongue talking, revival bringing man or woman of God. This is what it looks like. Come on, somebody. Get on your feet and give him a praise. Hallelujah. Yeah. Come on, give him a praise in here. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Turn around to two or three people and say, this is what blessed looks like. Come on, tell somebody else, this is what blessed looks like. Uh, <laughs> the harder I run, the harder mercy follows me. The more I go, the more goodness is right on my back. My gosh. Everywhere I turn, I'm thinking, God, you're so good. God, you're so good. Oh, hallelujah. I didn't realize this could happen right now, but God, you're so good. When I thought it was over, my life was over. God, you showed up and you were so good. Oh, hallelujah. When we thought everything was gone and we lost it all, God, you showed up with a truckload of blessings, God. You're so good. Come on. Somebody needs to give him about 60 seconds of your best praise and thanks right now. Thanks so much for watching us online. We're so blessed to, to live in an era where we can come to you uh, on this platform and be able to preach the gospel and worship with you right in your home. I don't know where you are today with the Lord, but uh, I want to close this time with prayer. And whatever needs you have, let's bring them to the Lord right now, but especially if you're not serving the Lord. If you've never accepted Christ into your heart, right now's the time to do that. All you have to do is open your heart and say, Lord, come in. I believe Jesus is Lord. Forgive me of my sins. I want to change. You make that decision in your heart, then God's going to come in and he's going to do the rest. Romans 10 verses 9 and 10 says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, then you'll be saved. In the book of Acts, it said, call upon the name of the Lord and you shall be saved. So let's pray for these two issues right now, okay? Pray with me. Father in heaven, I open up my heart. I repent of all my sin. And I ask Jesus into my life right now. And I thank you that my sins are gone. And I thank you that my life has changed. In Jesus' name. Now, Lord, I bring before you all the needs of the audience that's watching right now. Everyone who's hurting, they're struggling, they have issues going on. We bring those needs to the throne of God in the name of Jesus, and we ask you, Father, to meet them, to bless right now through the power of your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody can say amen. Hey, we love you. Thank you for following us. Thank you for watching us online, and I hope to see you again.